Welcome to the Small Business Surgeon Podcast, the show where we dissect the businesses of top producers, examine their growth strategies, and share with you the bare bones of their success. I am your host, Samuel Smith, and I'm glad you're here. Let's operate. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to this week's episode of the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. And guys, we are in for a treat for today. Guys, I have booked on the show a buddy of mine who is a rock star financial planner over at the Commonwealth Financial Group. And he's here to help you make the most of your investments. But not only that, he's here to share his journey in entrepreneurship. Please welcome to the show, Drew Howrigan. Drew, welcome. Hey, Sam. How, how- Thanks for having me, my friend. Dude, what is this? Is like the fourth time we've booked this interview now? <laughs> yeah, we've been. It's been uh, a moving, moving goalpost. Moving bit. target. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I need to reschedule. Yeah, like what? <laughs> You're not feeling well. I'm not feeling well. I'm gonna sound like an ass on this podcast if we do this today. But yeah, here we are. We we, we we made it, Drew, my man. Like I know who you are. Obviously, we we've hung out a couple of times. But uh, real quick, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? And uh, then we'll dig into your experience in entrepreneurship. Yeah, it's a great question, and I could go back uh, a little bit. Or I could go back a lot of bit, but. It's funny, I actually just posted about this. I'm not sure if you saw it on my timeline already, but yesterday was the nine year anniversary of my pivotal moment in life, which was my DUI. I did see I, it now. It, yeah, it was like. It says here that you have the Guinness World Record for single handedly destroying most Saab 95s. How I did that come long, about? I have the longest <laughs> Saab story that you could think of. <laughs> well, dude, I, I like stories. Dude, S-A-A-B. Yes. Story. I like those kind of stories, man. You And that's going to go That's gonna go super, super deep. Um, it really is. We can start there if you want. And just, we can start there. Let's, so, let's go from there. Um, I grew up in a small town, grew up in a farming family, grew up working hard, spending summers in the hayfield, winters in the woods, tapping mm-hmm. maple trees. And, um, you know, my dad was the youngest of nine in an Irish Catholic family that he was the only one that didn't become a farmer. But I still grew up around and on the farm with all my uncles and cousins. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. Yeah, that was really what I grew up knowing. And then as I went into high school, my parents always wanted me to have good grades. So I'd go to college and have options. And I did that. And I learned how to learn. And I soon found out that engineering, which I went to school for, was not for me. Mm-hmm. So then after I got out of school, I went through this period of time and I didn't know it at the time. I was in a state of denial, like I said in the post, but uh, in hindsight, I was in this area of my life or place in my life where I had been kind of trying to fit in with different crowds. So how old are you? How old are you there? What, 30, what are you mid, no, 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 30 there. going on 31, but right, I was but, just, but at this point, what are you early twenties, something like that? I'm uh, yes. Yeah. I'm uh, getting out of school around 19 or 20. And now between 19 and 21, I just went through this period of my life where I had didn't know what I wanted to do next. I had no really solid direction. So it's kind of just like day to day. I think a lot of us go through that as kids though, yeah? Yeah, so I didn't, I this thing, this initial thing that I thought I wanted to do hadn't worked out for me. Mm-hmm. And now I was uh, recoiling, wondering what to do next, working at this moving company around a lot of negative influences while going through some turbulence <laughs> in my personal life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that contributed to some bad habits starting. And that kind of, as a young male, it was like, oh, I'm just socializing. I'm just hanging out with the boys. And then but, it became bad habits. That but ev- everybody is. It seems like a rite of passage that young men go through when they first break into any sort of industry. Um, the older, more influential guys than them, like you're 21, the guys influencing you are 24, 25. They're still I'm doing 51. Right. Oh 30. God. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. So it was a, uh, it was a rough crowd. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't have the mindset of like, I'm going to go do this now. It was like, well, engineering didn't work out. And that's what I thought I wanted to do with my life. So now what? Well, I don't yeah, know but it, at yeah. 19, at 20, at 21, dude, drinking and chasing girls is life. It's fun. It's what you do. It's, it's life. Like drinking, chasing I'm not girls, saying, I'm not hanging saying out that with your buddies. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying that it shouldn't be, but in hindsight, if I could just have valued that time of my life when you have so much, you know, they say full of piss and vinegar, right? If you yeah, have so yeah, yeah, yeah. much energy, you have so much energy and so much vitality at that age as a young man, if you can harness it for the good, man, yeah, but that's powerful. Dude, like but, I, I have this conversation so many times with people. If you could go back now and give 19 year old Drew all the knowledge you have, 
19-year-old Drew wouldn't listen. No. Just the same as 19-year-old Sam would not listen to 42-year-old Sam. Like, mm -hmm. you have to go through it in order to be ready to receive the lesson, man. It's part of it. Yeah, yeah. 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 I said that in, I said that last night, too. I was like, I had to be that person to be this person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't realize that until I, I posted a picture of myself at Rock Bottom for accountability a couple of years ago. Like, you know, I had the whole alcoholic thing and sitting in the chair at 60 pounds heavier than I am now. And I posted that picture and one of my buddies said, hey, don't hate that guy because... He's the guy that had the fortitude to keep moving forward to become the guy you are now. And from reading your story, you got quite a bit of fortitude from doing dumb shit. So talk us through what you were doing at 21 and, and how you got in trouble and then how getting in trouble actually saved your life. Let's let's go there and talk about the, the dumb shit yeah. that we all did as kids. Because yeah, we yeah. all did so, it. I just never crashed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and... Man, so there's a lot to unpack here. But like I said, I grew up with this stupid, stubborn work ethic mm -hmm. and um, bullheadedness, as a lot of us do. And um, then when I started making these bad decisions, having these bad habits, it would just be like a six pack a night, uh, you know, going on a deer cruise with the boys. Yeah, but that's not a bad habit at that point. Is it six pack a night? It's normal. No, and then it, but then it was a 12, then it was mm -hmm. a 24, there you go. and then it's like Tuesday and me and my buddy kill a 30 rack and I'm going into work the next morning, mm -hmm. 10 minutes late, coming in on two wheels, just not good. Right, And then right. this compounds over time, the boss is getting fed up, I crash a few cars, luckily walk away, in, but it, I didn't, it was a slap on the wrist, it was mm -hmm. like I didn't get caught, friends would like, you know, pull my car out of the ditch, bring it home for me, bring me home. And cops are never involved. It's rural Vermont where like we, we can get like, unfortunately or fortunately, for better or for worse, get away with these things. I, I'm, I'm laughing because the same shit happened in rural Texas. You know, I, I had a buddy get drunk and drive into a tree and break his legs. We just went and scooped him up and ran away. <laughs> yeah like, it just it happens friend, man it my happens friends everywhere. woke my mom up at 2 a.m one mm -hmm. night being like hey we got drew uh his cars in fairfield center in the ditch we're gonna go back to bakersfield and pick up a flatbed and go get it mm -hmm. and you hope um, you you hope you get there before the cops find it yeah and they did um now, so I, that happened, the statute that, of limitations I, has passed since we were doing this by the way so you know we're, we're, we're okay to talk about it now. it's been nine years so yeah i don't i was uh not that I wasn't ashamed in the moment, but for some reason, I just kept on doing this shit three through three, four times. And like I said, uh, two, I completely dismembered at least one of the front wheels off of the axle mm -hmm. from impact. Another time I rolled off an embankment twice. It was like a 10 or 15 foot drop off. Wow. And the reason that I mentioned the sob thing is because I later found out that they are, they are moose proof because they're made in Sweden. There was an ad campaign back in the 90s where they would drop these cars upside down off of a crane and the BMW and the Audi would crunch yeah. from, from the impact and the Saab would stay rigid because they had reinforced the front of the A-frames mm -hmm. um, um, because they are made in Sweden because there's so many moose that would fall on the cars. They wouldn't want people to die. And that, I believe, single-handedly saved my life because when I flipped and rolled that car, I was able to open the door. I was suspended from my seatbelt. I was all disoriented because the car was upside down and all the change in my change jar was now in my sunroof and I'm crawling out on my roof upside down. And I just look and the car is mostly unscathed outside of just being upside down on its roof. And my, my uncle came with a backhoe and, and flipped it over, started it up, puff of black or uh, white smoke came out as it kind of, you know, settled and everything. And he mm -hmm. drove the damn thing home. Wow. <laughs> So save because of a, a, a moose cage and a sob. What is the plural of moose? What's what? What's the plural of moose? Uh, what do you mean? Like what are the? What do you have if you got two of them or three of them? What, what's the plural of moose? I never thought oh, about that. Moose, yeah, moose? a moose. moose, several moose, mooses, yeah, meese. Like meese? what's the plural of moose? <laughs> anyway, if you know what the plural of moose is, please uh, write in on Instagram and tag us so we know what, the, what, it's, what happens. It's ironic. <laughs> it's ironic. My dad actually did hit a moose. I never hit a moose, but mm -hmm. my dad hit a moose one time. <laughs> but then, you know, the fourth time was when it was uh, I had fallen asleep. Two of the four times were me just driving aggressively. Two of the four times were falling asleep. And um, the fourth time I woke up 
with a telephone pole about 30 yards in front of me, still going about 35, 40 miles an hour. And that was the only time the airbags went off. But I'll never forget the smell of the 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 latex and almost like a gunpowder like smell. Mm-hmm. The combination yep. of those two things, very unique and almost traumatic. But uh, that was the one time I got my bell rung. I, I broke the windshield with my forehead, even despite having the airbag go off and my seatbelt on. And then sure enough, again, it's like four o'clock in the morning. I call for help. There's not much to, to call for help at that hour. So a couple of friends were coming to get me because I was too ashamed to call my parents because mm. they were at wit's end with me by this time. And uh, ironically, a cousin of mine, again, comes with a backhoe around the corner. He's on his way to morning chores um, in his truck. Pardon me. Let's back up a second. He's in his truck. He, he's going by the crash site in his truck. I had knocked out power to the little village because I hit the telephone pole. It's like four in the morning. Nobody's come yet. Rural. Um, and he we he's like oh shit it's drew like goes back to the farm gets the backhoe we get we all we could find was like a four foot section of chain with a hook on one end so luckily sobs have a hook in the front of the car so Mm -hmm. we're able to hook onto that and essentially tie a knot with the chain but there's only about one foot of place we couldn't go Mm -hmm. very far luckily we had a right away right here he just pulled the car off the road out there as soon as the cops showed up of course they could see that there was a broken telephone pole. There was a car, you know, registered to my name, all that good stuff, put two and two together. It's not hard to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but nonetheless, like that was the closest call of all of them from a legally legal standpoint. And I guess from an injury standpoint. And I remember thinking like, man, why am I still here? Like, how have I lived through four of these now? I was obviously ashamed, but I, somehow the behavior still didn't change until I finally got caught. There probably is a, you you should write a letter to Saab thanking them. Like yeah, they, no they, kidding. They would I, like to I, see I, this. I, I actually took two Saabs that I had previously crashed and combined them into one. I literally <laughs> welded the frame onto another and changed the oh, engine. Oh, nice. And I, and I spot welded the roof onto the new, onto the other car and straightened the frame so that the windshield would fit in. And then I, you know, grinded all the 240 spot welds that we did to put it back on, and we made a perfectly drivable car again. And I still have that car to this day. Dude, it's we like, like the Frankenstein sob. It sounds like we. It sounds like we grew up in the same freaking household. <laughs> <laughs> so my, just as a, a point of interest, my my brother has a Frankenstein Citroen that that he took the entire top off the Citroen and he took the bottom off a Mitsubishi Lancer Evolution. He narrowed and shortened the bottom of the Evo and then put the Citroen back on top. So now he's got a 600 horsepower Citroen that weighs like, you know, two feathers worth. So it's quite the Frankenstein car, people. So tell me about getting caught. What happened on the last time that that made you change? um, Yeah, I was leaving uh, downtown Burlington. I I had now turned 21, so I was going out to the bars and stuff, and or uh, UBM, the college that we have in town. And uh, we had made it home safely. Mm-hmm. Like we, you know, had gotten back to my buddy's house we were staying at, and then, you know, some girls, you know, my buddy wanted to go see, and it was always this buddy that I got in trouble with it's always one there's always the i was oh, the guy like, i was oh, the buddy man. dude i was yeah, the instigator was, i'd go make the trouble guy. we got out of we got out of more shit than we got into true we got that. we got some girls load up <laughs> dude just every bad idea possible yes i was um, i was the instigator of the bad ideas <laughs> yeah so um it was him and me he was the instigator and uh i would i would just go yeah let's do it and so um, we hit it, we hit it up and I got, it was a snowy night and I got in the wrong turn lane. I was supposed to be going straight. And rather than just waiting for the light to go green and go straight, I backed up and corrected myself and went into the proper lane. Mm-hmm. And that, that move was witnessed and it was like, all right, that's a little weird at 3 a.m. And then uh, loud exhaust in my car, you know, the whole combination of things, whoop, whoop. And then that the rest was history. Um, and I finally got what i had avoided somehow dozens of times previously so no wreck that time just no wreck no wreck that time just changing lanes yeah yep and uh then i just i got crucified man i got pinned to the wall and it's like i i adopted the mindset this was you know long overdue and you know i was paying my dues for all the times i'd gotten away and it didn't end there like i went to crash and i went um 
you know, got my license taken away. And I remember being one of the only people in the class that was like taking this serious, like, Hey, this was actually my fault. Everybody else was like passing the blame. There was one guy that I in, in there that I knew personally beforehand that it was like his second or third. And he was still like, you know, F this, F that, this isn't worth my time. And it's like, well, man, take a hint. You've been here before. Um, so I really was like, okay, I need to change. Like I felt so guilty and so shameful because there are several of my peers who had passed away one from like Mm -hmm. a heart condition, Mm -hmm. one from like a carbon monoxide accident in his car, just a teenager, just sitting in his car, died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Another one like had some tragic, like snowmobile accidents. There's like three or four people within a year or two of my birth year in the same period Mm -hmm. of time that passed away. They were completely innocent. Meanwhile, I had survived this four or five time Mm -hmm. dumb, guilty, I'm the asshole occurrence. So I was like, why am I still here? I really got to own the fact that I'm fucking spared for a reason here. And I got to go big. I got to do something different than what I've been doing. And now, how, really, now, how old were you when you were having these thoughts? How old were you? Still early 20s? So my DUI was February 8th of 2014. I turned 22 February 23rd of 2014. And so 22 was the year it all changed for me. I that's, mean, that's, when, that's some yeah. serious introspection for a 22-year-old. Dude, like, I, so so I, bravo I on, on thinking like, that I way as a kid. On, I could keep on doing this, and I could end up with the same habits, with the same life 30, 40, 50 years from now. Mm-hmm. And, and never, and because there's people in my town that do it. They just, how many cars are you going to crash, bro? I mean, that's, that's what got me sober. It was, it was looking around at people I worked with that were, you know, 20 years older than me and divorced and living in RVs. Cause you know, we worked in the oil fields and they live in RVs. I'm like, man, is this going to be my life? Just getting drunk and, and jacking off in an RV at 60 years old. Is that it? Like, is that all no, I've got to yeah. look forward to? And so I left the entire industry. I left the the legal, the traveling legal profession. And then, you know, one of my friends, um, his partner, she was, uh, I mean, they'd been together 10 years. They just like, she died of alcohol poisoning of from being like uh, liver failure and being an alcoholic. And I was 37 and she was 46. And she'd been a part of my friend group for 10 years. You know, I watched somebody die from alcoholism and, you know, did you like hang it up all together at 22 or did you cut back or, or what there was is, a, what did so you, it's been yeah. an on off switch ever mm-hmm. since 22 i've had you know some if you will relapses since then um but at, at that time uh, i remember vividly it was a couple weeks after the dui so like probably right around my birthday when um my parents were like, yo, yeah, you got like 700 bucks to your name and you got one more paycheck coming in from this. Oh, cause like two days after I got the DUI, I lost my job. Cause oh, wow. I could no longer drive a box right. truck at the moving right. company. Mm-hmm. And my boss was already fed up with my shit anyways. Yeah. So the second best thing that ever happened to me was he was like, I'm, I'm not enabling you anymore, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, so now I had the money that I had that was static. Now I had, this is the dollars that I have. This is it. This is everything. This yeah. is it. Mm-hmm. And my parents are like, you have DUI coming, you have court coming, you have fines coming. You better save your money. Cause you're gonna have to all these fines to pay. I'm like, mm-hmm. save my money. I got 700 bucks. Like, mm-hmm. What am I going to save my money? So I don't know what it was, but this, this girl that I went to high school with had been following up with me for months about this network marketing opportunity. And I had no idea. It wasn't on my radar. I didn't know what this was. Didn't know what this was all about. Um, I like to your point about the the younger me wouldn't have listened. Mm-hmm. I was not ready to accept that information, and right, all of a sudden right. I was. Mm-hmm. So I was like, start listening to her. She's like, hey, I know you know this might not be your thing, but if could, would you come to this you know event with me in Philadelphia? And if you if you love it, great. If you don't, I won't I won't bother you again. Mm-hmm. And it was just like the timing, right? I was just like ready to hear it. I was like, sure. I need one last hurrah before I'm like locked down mm-hmm. essentially and not able to do anything. Cause I didn't lose my license until April. Right. So I had this like window of time that I could, you know, essentially make use of or not. And so I, I went to Philly and I, dude, I meant, this is the first time I was ever exposed to any type of the thinking that we're exposed mm-hmm. to now. Yeah. Via Apex and like, 
the 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 G code gratitude. Dude, I, I was the same way. You don't any get type that. of positive thinking yeah. or like inspirational stuff. Like I'd never been. Exposed you don't get to it that. in blue collar worlds though. It's it's yeah. it's looked down upon as as weakness and hippie shit. And dude, yeah. like I wish there was a way to just let every so, blue collar yeah, guy so know I what fucks up. Speakers, I heard some speakers in this room that were just like speaking to me. It was mm -hmm. just like. The crazy, it was the first time I ever did a visualization exercise. Yeah. It was very similar to Ryan's perfect mm -hmm. day. Yeah. Right. It was like, imagine your favorite song, your favorite car. What color is it? What the wind is, how the wind is mm -hmm. going through your hair and how What's the sun the steering, is hitting your feet. steering wheel feel like under your fingers. Right. Like, how, What's what the, the paddle smell? shift is like? Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, that was the first time I ever did that. And I was freaking crying, bro. Mm -hmm. And um, I came back from that from that conference, like just ignorance on fire. Like, I'm going to go sell some friggin' milkshakes, bro. I'm mm -hmm. going to sell some, I'm going to get some people on this challenge and they're going to lose some weight. They're going to gain mm -hmm. some weight. We're going to get, and that was, uh, that was it. That was the, that was like sales. Now I, I didn't realize I could ever not trade my time for money. Mm. Now I can leverage my skill set or mm. my influence or, and I was at the rock bottom of my influence. Nobody, dude, this guy who just lost his license and is walking down the street to the gym and back. Like mm -hmm. we all, we all know why he's here. He's been crashing cars for two years. Why would anybody listen to him? Right. Right. What a, what a, what a, what a scumbag, right? Like who's going <laughs> to listen to that guy. So I, I spent my whole summer 2022 riding around St. Albans, Vermont, a town of 12,000 people selling freaking meal replacement shakes on a bicycle. Tell me how that worked. So I built a team. Uh, so I came back from Philadelphia and I needed 500 bucks to start in this company. I asked my dad and you know how they didn't want me to go to this in the first place. You mm -hmm. got to save 500 bucks, but he could see that I was so lit up from this. He hadn't seen this in a while. He actually lent me that $500. Mm -hmm. I paid him back. And then I made like $3,500 in that company after building a team of 43 people. Like I, I, I did the work. And then like the comp plan was like a phantom comp plan to the point where like the money never came. Like, yeah, that's a lot of work for 3,500 bucks. So yeah, what, but surely. So uh, then, your, yeah, your first time at 22, man, you must've developed some, uh, some positive skill sets from that experience. But I developed some skill sets and I developed some relationships. They still have to this day, the first person that gave me the vote of confidence to say, man, you're onto something here. Like, I don't know what it is, but you're excited about it. I'll take a bet on you, like whatever. Mm -hmm. Is now my best friend, John Duda. He signs up as my first promoter in that company. We start to build a relationship. He, we both start to see that maybe this isn't what we thought it was at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And as we had built this relationship, mostly in the gym and through these challenge parties that we were doing, right? Um, he, he was working at Verizon. He's two years, he's like a year and a half younger than me. So this mm -hmm. kid's like 20, 21, yeah. just turned 20. And he's making 10 grand a month selling cell phones. And oh, I'm like, yeah. oh, day. fuck. <laughs> like I'd never heard of such a thing. $10,000 yeah. a month yeah. selling cell phones. And so there was a, another night out with that same friend that was always the instigator where I had $6 to my name. And I said, hey, Tanner, um, let's go to Sputies. There's dollar beers. I can actually buy myself my own five rounds without mooching off anybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did. And we ended up parting ways that night. He went off chasing some girl and I ended up with John. John was happened to be there. Mm -hmm. And we had built this relationship and he had happened to be there. And then I ended up going back with him, like just like crashing on his place because Tanner had kind of like ditched me that night. And then mm -hmm. we kind of like, literally he was like, kind of had a, we went on a hike the next day and I told him like what I was going through, like, you know, real talk type of thing. And he was like, bro, stay on my couch, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. You can like, you know, work your way into paying rent and we're gonna get you a job at Verizon. And so like every day they would come home from work, him and his roommate at the time, who's you know, the other one is no longer part of the picture, but friend at the time would come home and they'd show me how much money they made every day and be mm -hmm. like five, six, 700 bucks, you know? And I'd be like, holy shit. And it started to like expand my thinking, right? And I was at the time they had got, I had gotten a job working at a metal fabrication shop for 14 bucks an hour just mm -hmm. to get some money yeah, coming yeah, in because yeah. like this, the old network marketing thing wasn't working out. That's $112 a day before taxes. And you're watching before, your yeah, buddies like make 80 bucks a day yeah, after yeah, taxes. Yeah. yeah. So I was making 80 bucks a day, taking home like 320 bucks a week. And they were bringing home like more than that in a day. And yeah. so 
basically I just worked there as a placeholder while I went through the application process at Verizon. Mm -hmm. And then I got there and then I built my way up from literally so awful, never done sales, didn't even know how to process a sale. Mm -hmm. Just God awful. Worked my way up from just like, this guy's making 10 grand a month, latch on to him, learn everything that I can be a sponge. And I went from that to essentially being the sales trainer for a market for all of Vermont for 42, 43 people over four different stores. We were doing, you know, $17 million a year in sales. When I left there, we were, we were, you know, bricking the board, so to speak, like so six out of ten top spots in New England were occupied by Vermont. And that's what really built my skill set of sales, communication, leadership, um, and, you know, a network that kind of, that's when I segued into financial services around right. 2015. I got a couple more questions on that because I've yeah, got, I skipped ahead a little bit there, dude. I've got some. Uh, I know there's some listeners to the show that that have worked uh, selling cell phones, uh, some for Verizon, some for AT and T. But I know some of our listeners have done that. So, as a as a sales trainer in that kind of environment, what are some of the key things that these guys listening to the show right now? can do at their jobs selling cell phones to, to crack that 10 grand a month barrier? What are some of the Ooh. things that these guys miss? Because I'm thinking that cellular sales is purely like just following a formula. And I think that with the amount of investment that Verizon and all these other companies have done into sales trainings, I would think you'd be able to plug into that and, and actually oh. become successful. So talk us through that if you would. Somebody very close to me is actually going through the training and just got coded as a cellular sales agent or, or salesperson, like very <laughs> recently, like so, in the last month. And their experience of their training compared to what it was when I was there is very different. Mm -hmm. um, for better or for worse, I'm not going to get into that. But when I was there, we had some people, like the first month I had on the floor was December 2014. So obviously mm -hmm. a you know, yeah, good month, good month for sales. Month. Yeah, the best guy on our team, the top guy on our team, was number one in the nation for cellular sales that uh, that month. He did twenty three k. Now, cellular sales is the um, that's a subsidiary of Verizon, isn't it? They do sales yeah, it's the largest for retailer for mm -hmm. Verizon. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Cellular sales of Knoxville. They're based out of Knoxville, mm -hmm. Tennessee. Yeah, they they've got um, they've got a couple of locations in town, but we also have like corporate locations as well. Like uh, yeah, for Verizon. So we had a corporate couple corporate locations. We had four cellular sales locations. Mm -hmm. There's a couple like diamond wireless locations. Yep. But um, to answer your question, you know, there's Verizon level promotions, there's device level promotions, and there's like cellular sales level promotions. Mm -hmm. So it's really about stacking up as many of those things as possible. But at the same time, you can't just sell off promotions all the time. There might not always be promotions. So as I grew my repertoire, my language, it was really it's just a, such a combination of all things. But and I, and I look back on it like it's so simple. And now that I'm seeing this person um, close to me go through this, I realize it's not so simple. And I came <laughs> a long way. And I didn't just step into this knowing all this stuff. But every day, it's, it's, an over, it's drinking like a fire hose, just like anything else. But every day, I would focus on getting better at one area. Right. So there, like I like to say, you're an insurance agent when you work at Southern Sales. You get paid. To, I realized very quickly that if I sold a phone, that is on share. That means it gets dispersed. The commission on that phone gets dispersed out to the whole team who's on share or on shift that day, which is fine. I make the most money by the attachments. Mm -hmm. so I mean, make sure my attachment ratio and everything is as close to 100% as possible. So I need to figure out how to get my language down, how to get my pitch down on insurance. Because if I sell a phone, every time I sell insurance with that phone, I make 20 bucks. That's a $20 conversation every single time. Yeah. So I can just master that one thing get really good at one thing, then I'm going to guarantee that with every phone I sell, I know I'm making at least 20 bucks off the insurance. Then I get really good at packaging or positioning a case and a screen protector. The argument's going to be, I take inventory of what the objections are going to be. Mm -hmm. Know what your objections are going to be first so you can work your objections into the sale or into your pitch, knowing that your big, biggest objection is going to be, oh, I can go get it cheaper on Amazon. Don't worry. 
it's not worth the risk to save 10 bucks when I'm going to put this on for you and make sure it's perfect. And I'm going to take care of the packaging and make sure that you're walking out with a phone today with a case and screen protector on it that has no bubbles in it at all. They're like, all right, done, sold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You add a little wow on it and you put the friggin' screen protector on and you do a little line across it and then it does the whole cool thing Mm -hmm. where it applies itself. And they're like, wow, so glad you did that. Now that's another 20 bucks if you get case and screen protector every single time. And then you get really good at selling high profit phones and getting really good at not being a, a bull rush, bull in a China closet salesperson that's going to pressure an iPhone person into an Android, but somebody who can be consultative and say, hey, what do you like about your phone? What do you use your phone for? If you really enjoy the camera, then maybe there's another option for you out there that you might enjoy more if you're not exclusively married to the Apple software. Dude, I, I did that. The I did that for like- you ask, the better off you're going to be. And then to start, you need to greet them. Greet them at the door. Yeah. Like warm, welcoming greeting, white glove service. I'm taking you back to my desk. And then back to your point, have a process. Mm -hmm. No matter if they came in asking for four phones or if they came in asking about an app that's not working on their phone or a SIM card that's not working on their phone, you do the same thing. You take them back to the desk. You open up the account. You go through what you might see as opportunities and you solve their problem. And you try to work in sales as a solution to that problem. Mm -hmm. Dude, I... I switched to Android one time in like 2013 and uh, it lasted about three weeks. <laughs> oh yeah, I've heard that story way too many times. And that's the other thing. I would get really good at knowing where that line was, knowing mm-hmm. where to push, where it would make sense for somebody to switch to an Android and where I knew that they were probably going to come back two days later and either waste my time mm-hmm. or waste somebody else's time returning and exchanging it all. One of like, the best... Dude, Who, what, what good does that do anybody? <laughs> One of the best analogies I ever heard, and I, I stole it, was like the uh, the if you think of, of of coloring pencils, you know the an the Android is the version the packet with 128 different shades in it can do everything you want, but the iPhone has four crayons in it, and that's it. But like I like my crayons, it doesn't mess up. It's simple. It's like you can see what you I'm trying all to the do. Primary colors, mm-hmm. but like the Android is the the huge coloring pencils that gives you all those extra options extra features extra hey things not a bad do. analogy I, I just i like crayons man they're just simple they draw every time you get them out of the box nothing's wrong with them it, it, they work well with other crayons and so i was like yeah, yeah that, that kind of makes sense um man sounds like a like you had a ridiculously strong base in sales training from the guys at, at cellular sales and at verizon yeah man i i had several people who uh who were trained trained me or went through that program with me who have either gone on within the cellular sales organization to be regional directors and run their own market right or start their own businesses or run their own businesses or join in with the family business right like one of the the guy that made 23k he now runs his own dermatology practice um, and medical sales company with his father who's a dermatologist nice you know so um, another couple of them uh, one of them, one of my great mentors who not only taught me a lot about sales, but a lot about leadership um, was my mentor, Rodney, and he was promoted to run the Chicago market. So obviously a pretty big deal. Like, yeah, that's a big huge market. market. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, a lot of people that really, I was just so freaking lucky mm-hmm. to get there at the right time when there was a, a, a plethora of talent and, uh, and just high level professionals that I did not expect to find in the wireless industry mm-hmm. that, that, that just gave me perennial skills. But like, that how, are just, yeah, like so, for, so invaluable for all the luck and everything else that you fell into. How hard did you work though? How much? Oh my work? God. There was some crossroads, man. Mm-hmm. Like where I was not cutting it. I was not making my numbers. I was, I was even when I first started there, like I was pitching milkshakes when I was selling phones. <laughs> you're still doing a milkshake. Dude. Like, dude, you got to stop, man. Like you're going to have to come in and train and shadow Travis, our other trainer unpaid. Like you gotta, if you don't, like, we're going to have a serious conversation about your employment. If you don't come in on this uh, extra day to shadow and, and mm-hmm. get this extra training. I had to just bite the bullet and, and swallow the frog, right? As they say. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of hard moments. Like as I climbed the ladder and I started, so the the, the pinnacle or the um, the benchmark was 10K, right? It was right. like, you're, 
you're in the cool kids club yes. if you hit 10K. everybody's always so, trying to hit that 10k number yeah yeah so from the day i started from the day i got coded which was uh black friday 2014 was my first day coded so my first full month was december 2014 i'm like well everybody else is going for 10k um i'm gonna work every day i'm gonna do it too even mm-hmm. if i only make 330 bucks a day like you know, I'm gonna work every day. Right. And so obviously I didn't work Christmas, but I worked like 28 days that month or something. And, uh, and I hit like $3,300. Oh, like, oh, it was, it was the most money I'd ever made in a month, but it was like mm. probably the least, like no better from an hourly rate. It's a hundred bucks a day. You might as well be like yeah. welding out there with the guys, but you, yeah, so, you were building a skill set though. Yes. Right? But I was, I was, there's S curves of life and I was mm. in the bottom of the mm. S curve. I was yes, in the dip, right? So I was in the trenches, as as some some might say. And um, then January, I think it was somewhere similar, 3,500, maybe 4,000. February, I think I cracked like 4,200, 4,500. March, it was like 5,500. April, it was maybe like somewhere around there. May, I remember it was 7,500. And then June, I hit 10K. July, I hit 10K. August, I hit 8K. So now I just made $28,000 in three months. Whereas in 2014, I made $17,000 in my W-2 the whole year. So in 2014, I made $17,000. In 2015, I made 71. Literally the seven mm-hmm. and the one. Well I done. paid more in taxes in 2015 than I made in 2014. That's got to feel good, man. So then it started to click. Then I, well, you know, there's like... I, can, what yeah. I wanted to ask, like, so you saw a growth curve that was relatively linear up to the, the $10,000 point. Did you build a book of business there within Verizon to mm. where you were getting referrals and people sending you business? Or did you just hone your talent on the sales floor and get better at closing the foot traffic that was coming in? How did that I work? I did. It was mostly the latter, but some of the former, meaning I was just so honed in on creating such a great experience that I would be the guy. I would be mm. the phone guy. Right. But... I didn't have a CRM. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what like a funnel was. I didn't know what any of that mm-hmm. stuff was. So it was really just me creating awareness via social media, which was nowhere as consistent or as structured or Dude, intentional as it is now. But I, I was doing it. I was I doing it at an amateur elementary level. Right, right. Make some posts about phones. Dude, and if, if you if you taught the guy in the phone shop to run his own Dude, CRM, I could make three hundred k a year selling phones if I went back and did easy. it now. Easy easy because you build the crm you build out the systems and you literally just, just schedule an appointment work a shift i would yeah. just go in and sell 10 phones and leave i i wouldn't even work shifts i just schedule the appointments and pay somebody a commission yeah. to close my shit and just keep scheduling appointments be the phone yeah. guru man like yeah. it's just there's so many new doors opening up for the internet oh yeah you think half oh, yeah. these i just wish i you could give them the knowledge but again so most of my most of my business was foot traffic mm-hmm. some people would come in to exclusively see me and it would be considered an appointment right but man one of the cliche if i knew then what i knew now like mm-hmm. i would have i would have been able to make 20 grand a month with my eyes closed all there. day yeah yeah yep. i i like that all right let's move on man what was it like leaving verizon and stepping out into a bigger shoes with financial yeah. advising talk us so through remember, that yeah so as i as i progressed through verizon and you, you like you said kind of hit the top of this s curve this plateau i'm right around anywhere from 10 to thirteen thousand dollars a month pretty consistently now or i guess eight to thirteen thousand right you know and um <clears throat> and um i thought i was top of the world and then you know i was i was living a lifestyle that was 10 grand a month and um i didn't have anything to show that's for it. what you do man that's what, yeah, that's what everybody go does the first you time you get the it. money the first time you get it you spend it that's what it's for <laughs> yeah you get get that out of your system mm, man I'll yes sir buy the buy the car at double digit interest all the good stuff right mm-hmm. um, dude, i think i bought one in 2006 my first um I, no, I didn't clear a hundred and two. I I got close to a hundred grand in two thousand six. My first six figure year was two thousand seven. I bought one in two thousand six at sixteen point nine percent interest. Ooh-wee. Yeah, I uh, and I was so excited to get the car. I didn't care. And about three months later, I managed to refinance it down to five point four nine percent, and it was a lot better. But there Jesus we go. Christ, sixteen percent interest. I just signed on it because I was a young kid. I didn't know any better. I was yeah. excited I to get car. my car. You know, I was twenty six years old and excited. Then to you get make a car. couple payments and you're like, all right, this hurts. Why isn't yeah, like a hundred dollars in principal and seven hundred in interest? What the fuck is going on? 
you know, and I'd only paid, um, shit, I think I paid like 28 grand for the car, which in 2006, that was, that was the biggest thing I'd ever bought, but I paid 28 grand for the car. And I put a few grand down, I traded my other car on it, and then all of a sudden I got a $600 payment at fucking 16.9% interest. I'm like, what in the world happened there? And uh, yeah. you know, luckily enough, about three months in, I was able to refinance it through a, a local bank and everything was great. But Thank God. Jeez, dude. But they don't tell you that in school, that you just see the no. car and you see the payment. There's like, and yeah, I've owned a car dealership, so like, there are tricks for doing it. But the reason they foursquare you and go, all right, what monthly payment do you want is so you don't pay attention to the term or the interest rate. You just focus on, shit, I can have this car for 600 bucks a month. Well, I'm in. You know, it doesn't matter that it's 72 months and 17% interest, you know? Yeah. So, um, but anyway, sorry, I digress. So no, you're, uh, yeah, I love that term. I digress. Uh, so <laughs> I, uh, I'm like kind of plateauing at Verizon and, mm-hmm. you know, getting comfortable again, getting in with the good old boys club a little bit too much. And, um, then tragedy struck my uncle, you know, passed away oh, relatively quickly from cancer and then 42 days later, he was my, my mom's youngest brother. 42 days later, my papa passed away. So oh, it was like, bam, bam. I got a call about family members dying on, on shift, like within a month of each other, essentially. And that's when, um, you know, I saw what happened because there was no financial planning in place. Right. There was no estate planning in place, if any. And uh, what unfolded after that was not pretty. And I witnessed how hard that was for me. But I also understood and realized in that moment how much harder it was for my mom. She just lost her brother. How much harder it was for my cousins who just lost their father. How much harder it was for my aunt who just lost her husband. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'll be damned. I'm making 10 grand a month. I'll be damned if I'm going to be a burden to anyone that I I love or care about if if anything ever happened to me. And I don't have a family yet or anything, but... I'm going to, I got to do something without money to not do something without going too deep into it. What was, what was some of the issues that arose? uh, Oh man. Due to the, due to the unpreparedness, let's say no life insurance. Nobody thinks they're going to die. Yeah. No life insurance. Only, only, um, you know, uh, company owned life insurance. So Mm -hmm. through work where it's like two times your salary and you think that hundred thousand or 200,000 sounds like a lot until wife is so distraught and she's a teacher, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, whatever they do, it doesn't matter. They are so distraught that they don't want to work for a year. Have you given them that option or are they going to be mm-hmm. forced to go back to work when they're still right. in a deep dark depression, mm-hmm. leaving your kids now, not with losing one parent, but losing two right and now they're subject or, or exposed to the state programs and the state programs we all know are not in the best interest of the child or the family. <laughs> they don't have a really good estate plan for you. And so there's this huge unraveling where the male is no longer present in the home. The mom goes off the, off the rails because there was, there was financially no support and she had to deal with all this grief. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. having financial problems stacked on top of it. And I just saw this all unfold and now it's like created family ripple effects mm-hmm. yeah, in multiple does, yeah. generations and multiple generations of the family. And it's like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. And like, I went like, again, I just had this harsh reality strike me that I needed to do something. Mm-hmm. So that's when I went and met with a financial planner for myself. And I started contributing to some retirement, to some life insurance. And I remember like when I first met with this person, I was so fascinated by the things I was learning because in middle-class America or UK, it doesn't matter. Like middle-class does not talk about these things. It's hush, hush in the household. We don't talk about money, dude. right? That's like, you know, it's like a no, no, no. Like I get it. I get it. I hope my parents are fucking listening to this. God, I had to drag them to the attorneys and set up everything with the solicitors and set up the entire estate for them. They got all the paperwork, everything done, and I thought it was all done. And I found out the other week they they, they were just reading it. And they hadn't signed it yet. I'm like, they hadn't signed the- it. Like, ah, what is wrong with you? Like, like, oh, you know what? This sounds like it's gonna make life better for me and my loved ones. I need to wait. <laughs> No, I just I just started being brutally honest with my dad. Now I'm like, look, I'm gonna take care of it when you're dead, or we can take care of it now when you're alive. It's gonna be easier with you alive. Please, can we fix this? Like, cause yeah. I'm gonna have to deal with your shit anyway. Like, and that's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> oh, uh, I saw like the worst, the worst play out, mm-hmm. and it's not pretty, man. It's no. not pretty. I've, I, well, and, uh, I've never seen people fight so much over over, over money and assets. Nothing. Yeah. Over nothing. I'm like over like. 
pennies. Mm-hmm. And and um, so, like you said, take care of it before emotions involved. But it was already too late. I saw this happen. I was like, I'm gonna. I don't have a family. It's just me. But heaven forbid if something happens to me because I've already scraped death four times at least. Mm-hmm. Then I'm gonna make sure that I'm not a burden because I didn't know all this, or I probably would have already had it done because of the guilt that I had before that I mentioned. So mm-hmm. I go, I get get all this done. And then about a year later, a couple of people that I had trained at Verizon had gone into the industry. And then I had the opportunity and I kind of just jumped off the cliff. I'd been so fascinated by this stuff. I'd start to learn more and do some self-study throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And then like nine, 10 months later, I had the opportunity for myself to go in and I kind of just took it. I just, I was at Verizon and I was just so good at it. I called it seeing the matrix. I could pull up an account and I could pretty much sell at will. Um, and just, you know, commanded my own income. But like you said, I was capped out and I was like, do I really want to play this game for another three to five years to climb the corporate ladder? Who do I want it? But I, I was yearning for something different, for something right, more impactful, right, for right. something less transactional. Like I remember- You said could, the word there, though, impactful. You know, it's really, yeah. I want to go to work and make a difference and have an impact. Yeah, I was like, I need to have more of a tangible impact in somebody's life because I could make a, I could make somebody's day. I could make their visit to the Verizon store memorable. I could make it mm-hmm. easier. I could make them not resent it so much, mm-hmm. but that was it. Now they were going to come in and get that phone anyways. I wasn't, yes. I wasn't making them do anything that they weren't already going to do. Mm-hmm. And so some days I kick myself for wishing this upon myself. Cause it's not freaking easy because people know they need this, but they don't want it. So sometimes it's like pulling people through mud while they're kicking and screaming, but um, I said, hey, I want something more impactful and you know, higher earning potential where I can really create lasting relationships. I didn't know what that thing was at the time. And then financial services reared its head and I jumped off the cliff and learned how to fly on the way down, as they said. <laughs> I know it, man. I know it. I know a lot of us do that. So how long have you been in, uh, in financial services now? Because uh, you don't just become a rock star overnight. No, and... Here's the thing. Some people say, I've been doing this 10 years, 15 years. Okay, well, sure. But have you been doing it for 10 years, you know, getting, uh, you know, a limited number of reps in? Well, or you know, are you some slamming people... it and getting the same amount of reps in five years that X, Y, or Z guy got in 10 or 15? Well, I think right? that, that it's, it's because some people, they, they get to a, a level of comfort where they get one year's experience and then they replay that year the next year because everything works and they replay that year. So you may have 10 years in the industry, but oh. effectively you've only a year or two years in growth and in, in actual experience, you see. So that was my first two years in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of treaded water for the first two years. I've been in the industry about five years now. It was late 2018, so it's not quite five years yet, mm-hmm. but it was late summer 2018 when I jumped ship from Verizon. And I started at an insurance company, National Life Group of Vermont. And so I was just slinging IULs. I thought it was super sexy. I thought it was super exciting. Um, but I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And I right, soon right. found, excuse me, I soon found out and realized that one, being a one-trick pony wasn't really doing any planning. It was really just still selling a product. Two, there were some flaws with the product itself. Um, once you kind of did start getting edu- more educated about it. And three, the leadership at this place was just atrocious. The core mm-hmm. values, morals, the ethics were not in alignment. And after about six months, I realized that. So um, the, the, the leader that had um, recruited me into the business, he actually left. He was one of the junior partners. He actually left and went off on his own. So I kind of felt loyal to him and went off with him. Right. So right. Now, six, months, since, six months after I started in the business, I hit my first $10,000 a month, like three or four months in, and then I'm jumping ship to this new company, this new firm, where it was an RIA, an independent advisory firm. And my mentor, he went to the London School of Economics at Kiev, ironically in Ukraine, um, looking back. But anyways, super smart guy, super well-educated, said he was going to take me under his wing, teach me everything he knows, get me all licensed. But turns out that didn't happen. There was no structure, no support. He went on a sabbatical, personal and business, like issues off the wazoo, like Mm -hmm. lawsuits and personal, like just kind of going off and like not showing up to the office for two weeks. So I'm still pretty green, like nine months into the business, still don't have a process established or a huge knowledge, knowledge base. And I just am sitting there with my, you know, 
sitting on my hands like what do i do like there's no guidance no mentorship no leadership no structure no support no I mean, infrastructure you might as well build your own then eh? just go and yeah. start by yourself so i'm like Shit. i'm about to fail out of the business mm -hmm. and um you know so i started in late 2018 i jumped from national life to this ment financial group in june 2019 and then by feb by january 6th of 2020 that mentor and I parted ways. Mm -hmm. We just like, this isn't working, bro. That was really quick. Yeah. So like the first year I went through two firms and it was like, that was not good. Um, so I, my parents were like, Hey, you know, this hasn't been working out for you. Like, is this really the right thing? Like, you know, maybe you should go get some insurance job and something with a 401k and a base mm -hmm. and a, and a, and a salary. And then, you know, you can go from there. And I was like, and I freaking listened to him. I went on a couple of job interviews and then I got the job interviews and I got the offers and it was like 38 K plus a 15% commission on what I sell. So maybe I'll make 60 or 70 plus a commission and a, a 401k match and a, some benefits. Fuck that. It is, it's I hard to get I excited didn't go through for all this shit to just, to just stop here. It's hard to get excited for 40 grand a year. It's really hard. Yeah. So I was like, I did not come this far to come this far. I could land a deal tomorrow that made me 40 grand. Mm -hmm. I really put my mind to it, even though I don't know what I'm doing. The possibility mm -hmm. is still there. So I kept interviewing around. Let me back up a second. So while I'm interviewing at jobs, I was also interviewing around financial firms because like, I was the, you know, the path that I was on mentally besides getting distracted there for a little bit. So I'm like, all right, third time's a charm. I got to get it right this time. A friend of mine from Verizon had been, uh, had been uh he had sold a phone to another financial planner in town <laughs> it's coincidence okay coincidence so this financial planner is trying to get him as a client right and i'm of course this is all i'm who's the first people that i went to hit up financial planning all your verizon or buddies insurance, all the verizon yeah. buddies mm -hmm. so now i'm trying to sell them life insurance this guy's trying to sell him financial planning which are obviously very similar things life and uh, financial planning includes life insurance it's just not so product centric. And so um, one day I'm sitting in that office, like I said, sitting on my hands, wondering what, what to do next. And I get a call from this number and I answer, of course, because you're in sales, you answer your phone. Like, Hello, this is Drew. Hey, this is Nick Roop from Commonwealth Financial Group. I got your number from Devin Bradford. I was wondering if you wanted to set up a call to come in and talk about financial planning. You said you'd be open to a conversation. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> Devin gave you my number? Dude, I do the same thing as you. Like, I'm a competitor, bro. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, now I'm like, I got to have a talk with Devin. Why is he talking to you? Right. <laughs> so anyways, that phone call kind of ended pretty uh, abruptly. And, you know, one thing led to another. Nick calls me back again, like a week later. He's like, hey, sorry about last week, but I was thinking, like, I've seen you around quite a bit. Seems like we do a similar thing. Like we should get coffee sometime and, and learn more about each other. And I'm like, all right, got nothing better to do. Sure. So we meet up for coffee and sure enough, he had his recruiter with him. Mm -hmm. and they're like, so what are you guys all about over at men? Like, what do you got going on over there? And just basically tell them like, not much. Like no structure, no SOPs, <laughs> no fucking mentor. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah so no they, they, saw, they saw you come in. They, they just reeled you on. Yeah, so, they're, like, they're, so they're dude. like, well, yeah. this is what we got over here. And I'm like, wow, a team environment, structure, SOPs, core values. Like, holy shit, it's like cellular sales, but in financial services with like, a, a training program mm -hmm. and, and infrastructure and support and staff. That's the most important thing. And, having that infrastructure, having that yeah. support, man. Yeah. So I was like, but hold on. I've already been through two of these. Like I can't just take the first offer because mm -hmm. you seem sound yeah. great, Yeah. but I, I got to do my due diligence. So I interviewed all around town, went New York life, all the other independent firms, uh, you know, probably four or five, six other places. And it, they were just the obvious choice right from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up matching up with them in February of 2020. And then, of course, three weeks later, COVID happens. But, dude, that was the pivot that saved my career, at least in financial mm -hmm. services, because I saw that as not a disadvantage, but an advantage because, hey, I'm still green in the industry, but mm -hmm. I know technology. I've been waiting for this Zoom mm -hmm. uh, digital world to to evolve to for catch a while. up yeah now yeah. i knew that all these guys that were 30 40 years in the business were at a disadvantage and they had to mm -hmm. figure this other thing out now dude 
So I saw that as a way to expand my marketplace and my footprint and get some market share from people that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten market share from. Yeah, you know, COVID was definitely a, uh, it was a, it was a filter. It was almost like a screen. There's, yeah, so nonetheless, like I leveraged that mentally to my advantage. I just buried myself in work for three months and that's when my practice actually started to take shape and evolve and the, the career really hockey sticked ever since then. My man, Drew, I'm gonna have to bring you back for a second interview at some point because uh, we are both on a hard stop here in a few minutes. Um, there are a couple more questions I want to ask you uh, that I ask like kind of all my guests to get a feel for stuff. Um, but number one, I want to thank you for coming on and hanging out for the last hour. Yeah, you? man. Uh, it's it's been a blast getting to know you a little bit better, and uh, you know I'm I'm glad you're much better at driving now than you were as a as a, a yeah a young, no young no man. accidents for quite some time now. <laughs> but the questions I got for you, Paul, there's just a couple left. Okay, so the, yeah. the Small Business Surgeon Podcast, it's, it's based around true life stories of entrepreneurs that, that mess up and that get better and mess up again and get better again. And So if you could talk to Drew from five years ago or talk to a young business owner, someone that's not quite where they want to be yet, what's one piece of advice that you'd want to reach back and embed in their brains? And you kind of just said it, but one of my favorite like realizations that I've had throughout the S curves, the different iterations of my life and my growth since this journey that I've been on that I've shared with you has happened has been like life has the way of teaching you the same lesson or very similar lessons over and over again. And I like to call it the dragon has a different head. It's yes. like different context, different mm -hmm. situation, mm -hmm. but the same theory, the same theme that you're yes. learning, like maybe at a more advanced level, like there's levels to this, mm. but it just kind of, you'll notice patterns and repeat things happening. And until you learn those things and get them down, they're going to keep on happening. Dude, and that's so true. Oh yes. my God. Yes. Um, I like to liken it to like a video game. In fact, my last Friday fire the other week. Now this will, there'll be a couple of months before this publishes, but like, two weeks ago on the friday fire i dropped it was all about like the levels of this and you get the you get the weapons you need when you beat the boss in the video game but you know until you beat him you don't get those weapons you don't get that experience you go back to the start of the level you got to play the level again and that yeah. level you know it, it it might be a a particular client it might be a different client it might be a different project but the the game is the same and as you progress through the game you get the tools from beating the boss and the next time you fight that boss you just walk right past him yeah, right. and you gotta work on yourself. You master yourself in that game, and eventually you can only go so far by yourself. So then you gotta master the leadership. Mm -hmm. Leadership is a whole other game, and it's it's, it's a yep. fun one too. Like mentoring and developing and leading, man. That's a that's a whole other challenge. Another level. But whole it's, other level. dude, it's so much fun. It's so rewarding to see people that that you mentor and you coach and see the lights go on. Yeah, but man. it's like, hey, it's cool that you know this, but now you gotta break it down at a mm. fifth grade level for everybody else. Oh yes, that's where the crayons come in, man. That's yep. why we have the yeah, iPhones. I guess we'll have to leave it off there, huh? That's a good starting, <laughs> that's a good starting and stopping point for next time. Let's leave it off there, sir. Let's book you on another show in uh, six months or so, and let's continue this conversation because I'm having fun. Um, last question. Yeah, man, it's been a blast. I love your questions. It was just like, you know, such a natural conversation, but a good, that's, but a good one at the same time. I've done a few of these now, pal. Hey, you know, what, <laughs> what episode is this? Uh, I've no idea. Two hundred and two hundred and thirty something of love the it. small business surgeon. But I've been podcasting for about five years before I launched Small Business Surgeon. So I've got a lot of this. Everybody, oh, you're so good. Nope. It's just practice, practice, practice. So my last question for you, Drew, for everybody that has enjoyed hanging out with you for the last hour, the Rockstar Financial Planner at Commonwealth Financial Group, where can they, A, follow you online, and B, fill out a little form and get a quote? What's up with that? Yeah. So um, let's see. I got my uh, Calendly. If you really wanted to just get direct to me, I'm willing to spend half an hour with anybody just to get to know you, see how I can be a resource or help. Um, but as far as just following me, get to know me a little bit, um, it's going to be my Facebook, Drew Horrigan, or my Instagram, AP at AP Horrigan. Um, that's probably my two biggest channels. Um, I do have a, a daily text that I send out, just kind of motivational, inspirational oh, message nice, nice. Um, as well. But um, that's more internal. Um, but yeah, I would say, you know, Facebook or Instagram is the, is the best way. And then, um, yeah, I'm happy that we kind of just jammed it up today. But if anybody wants to get into the weeds on what I do, how I can maybe help you, I'm happy to, to carve out some time. Guys, you should absolutely check out Drew's stuff. He is—he's uh, really making waves, and he does a great job. So, um, yes, please go check out his links. We'll put them in the show notes. And uh, Drew, thanks again so much for coming on, pal.
Hey, man, thanks for having me. We'll talk right. soon. That's going to do it for today, guys. That was Drew Howrigan. If you love this stuff, please go check it out. Uh, do us a favor, share the show. You can tag Drew. You can tag us at Small Business Surgeon. And of course, don't forget to hit the review button and uh, hit the subscribe button. All right, that's going to do it from us for today. I will see you on Friday for this week's Friday Fire. You'll be good. And for the love of God, stay out of trouble. This has been the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. If you've made it this far, you clearly like it. So go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. This helps people find the show and spread the good word. Share with friends and follow us at Small Business Surgeon on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you for your follow-up next week.